0: Welcome to episode 9 of After the Ninth. I'm Cass Patterson with Dayton Sutherland. And Date, this is our one-year anniversary episode.
1: Yeah, one year um, since we started the first, or did the first podcast, sorry. Um, only at episode 9. We're a little bit behind schedule of where we would like to be. But uh, uh, like we uh, said in the interview that uh, you guys were here, I guess that kind of spoils beans. Um we're gonna try and pump out a little more content. Um, and today we have uh, Chad Fike on, uh, so be ready for that interview.
0: This episode is presented by Double Arrow Equine Massage and Sports Therapy. Double Arrow Equine works with and for your horse to make sure they feel their best every time they compete. With eight years of experience across North America, and has worked with NFR, CFR, and WPCA equine athletes. Check them out on Instagram and Facebook, and for more information, contact three two five six six nine zero zero two nine well date i guess uh this is kind of where we tell people what's going on in life
1: yeah for sure uh just one thing quick is i've actually used uh, uh keegan uh was just did the ad there uh panoka stampede uh he worked on one of my right leaders that wasn't uh, traveling quite right and actually left Wheeler too if i remember correctly and uh, that guy certainly knows what he's doing is he's a, he's a real good cowboy and a real good horseman so uh i've actually used that service so uh that's my testimony um anyways yeah uh life it's uh pretty boring so far i'm sure um everybody else is is uh in the same boat um one thing i did want to bring up uh, uh, today is is a uh, a topic that doesn't really get talked about, you know, all that often, uh, but I think it's an it's a important conversation to have. And, uh, you know, I don't want to uh, get too down or anything, um, you know, on this subject, but uh, yesterday uh, I had one of my horses die. Uh, his name was Shaw. Uh, it was of natural causes, um, just out in the pasture. He broke a bone. Uh, it was something that, uh, you know, not me or Vect or anybody else in the world, uh, uh, you know, could help him recover from. So um, we lost him. That was just yesterday. So I'm not sure when you guys will, will hear from this. But um, it's just something I wanted to talk about because, uh, you know, Shaw, for me, was a horse that was, you know, top of the line. I, I got him, you know... Geez, four years ago now, and uh, I broke them myself. Uh, I bought them with my grandpa. Actually, uh, we bought him in a package of of a handful of others, um, and uh, I bought him with actually who his wheel partner was was Nevada at the same time. and And uh, they were two really really nice horses that I actually got lucky with uh, as a younger kid and the sport. and I uh, was very fortunate to have a couple horses like that, uh, you know, so early on. and And Shaw's a horse was a horse for me that you know helped me win uh rocky and uh, uh helped me gain some consistency um in my driving career so uh it, it's too bad to you know lose him but the the point of this is that you know he's a calgary stampede quality horse okay uh he's you know not the best on the grounds, but, uh, he's in that caliber. Uh, he's a super talented horse. Uh, he's just got so much start, so much charge, so much run. Uh, he's not a, he's not a great big horse, but his heart was as big as a wash tub. He'd give you every single thing he had every single time. And, uh, you know, you you hook a different horse on that outfit and the outfit just doesn't work the same, it just doesn't feel the same. Uh, he's just, uh, he's a, he's kind of a smaller horse, but he's just shredded. Uh, you could just see the muscle fibers in his shoulders and, and, uh, in his back end. And he's just a wicked little horse and never did a thing wrong either. You know, uh, uh he was super, super easy to break. Um, he was, uh, he, he always just kind of in your pocket, did whatever I said, uh, never had a trouble with him. And, uh, you know, when I bought him, he had a, a, a chip in his knee and uh, he had a bad ankle and uh, wasn't necessarily the fastest runner out of there. I got him from uh, um, a guy in Winnipeg anyways, like I said, in that package. And, uh, you know, a horse like that, we took him and, uh, you know, obviously died of natural causes. I, I, you know, can't change anything about that. But, you know, we got an extra four years or five years out of him, uh, you know, in, in, in competition. and uh, And he was a really competitive horse. And kind of rambling here just because, you know, I'm kind of reminiscing on, on, uh, you know, how much time I've spent with this horse. I I trimmed his feet every day or not every day, sorry, but every six weeks. And and I I shod him when he needed to be shod. And, and, uh, you know, I fed him every, every night at midnight during in the season and and every single morning you know i turned him out and I, I spent such an amount of time with this uh you know he's just an incredible horse and uh like i said you know a Calgary stampede quality caliber horse uh you know almost as good as they come and you know had he broke that bone um in a race at a big show you know uh, people would be contacting me they would be uh WPCA they'd be contacting uh whoever and whomever wherever uh you know to get a story on this about the wreck about this about that about how chuck wagon racing you know kills horses and and uh I only you know explain this about Shaw because he is one of those horses that would be at that uh one of those big shows uh you know he's a staple horse um and he would be in anybody's barn so um but it's just something, you know, I kind of want to talk about because uh, had I not, you know, said it here, nobody would ever know about it or, or ask me about it or anything of that nature. Um, so it's, uh, it's sad. It's, it's something that uh, happens to everybody. You know, uh, it's, it's always the good ones. It's uh, always one you don't want to lose. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy. And thankful that uh, I got to spend time with a horse like that and uh, learn from him. And, and leading on to that, you know, uh, uh, Shaw was a special horse for me. And I, and I have a couple others uh, that I got around the same time. Uh, Nevada is one of them. Uh, he was Shaw's wheel partner. He's on the right wheel. Um, and, and he's a super competitive horse. Uh, Forrest is another one that I got the same year um and i just I just think back because uh you know really for us for for truck wagon drivers, these horses are uh, such a big part of our lives, and they're they're a part of the family uh, and they're a part of the team as well and and, and that's the the fun part um, you know and you get to work with these horses so much. Uh, day and night uh, 24 well maybe not 24 hours a day some guys sleep with their horses I guess or, or used to back in the day uh, I've definitely done it but I don't choose to do it every single night so um, it's just uh, it's it's uh, it's a pleasure uh, to deal with these horses and to figure them out and, and to you know find out their personalities and what makes them tick and, and uh, what will make them perform better uh, what makes them happier uh, so they feel better. What makes them, uh, you know, run run better, or turn differently, or or whatever. Um, even little things, uh, you know. For me, I, I shoe my own horses, so that was uh, that's always something that uh, uh, makes me chuckle. I guess is even figuring out a horse that way, because um, you know, for Shog, for example, uh, he was uh, had a little bit of a deformity uh, in in his uh, back end, high up. And uh, he always hit himself, right? He wasn't built right to, same as a person when, you know, when they're born, maybe they're like, for me, example, I'm born with a crooked spine. I got scoliosis, right? So my spine's uh, crooked. I don't know what (laughs) Shaw's problem was, but moral of the story is, is is he would hit all the time when he was running, he would, he would uh, interfere with himself. Uh, And and if you can picture it, what was happening was, is a way a horse runs is his two front feet come to the middle of his body right like they, they they come and his two back feet come to the middle of his body the two front feet go uh, on the inside and the back feet go on the outside and he was hitting uh with the outsides of his front feet on the insides of his legs of the backs um so he, he was a, a horse that uh he had to be shod a special different way and uh you know I had to take a little bit more and and do a, a couple of tricks I actually learned from a real old fail at farrier so it's uh, just funny little things like that that make you uh uh you know personable with the horse uh knowing they're all little little quirks and and uh you know the the little details and their personalities and stuff uh that uh just make them uh, better for you and and uh better overall
0: you know it's funny you bring up nevada because uh when you and chad were talking during the interview when you were talking about the horses that like they just they're anticipating it when you shake the harness or when they see the harness my mind automatically goes back to century downs last year and nevada was at the front of the uh, the front of the barn and he could see what was going on and he was like losing it because he so badly wanted to be out there and you weren't racing him that night so just that is where my mind automatically goes whenever you talk about a horse that just so badly wants to race and so badly wants to do his job
1: yeah he's uh he's like I would say that a lot of the horses that uh well I mean they all like to do it because if they didn't like to do it then you wouldn't get them to do it um and and if it's a new horse uh maybe they don't like to do it but they don't know that yet and uh, as soon as they (laughs) do know that you find out very very quickly they they uh they stop performing uh and then obviously usually that's where the outriding horses come from uh and and actually we kind of touch on that uh in the interview with chad but uh moral of the story is is i think all the horses um you know do who get excited when they hear that jingle the harness they do get excited when they start to hear you know les mcintyre uh you know from however long away far away sorry a kilometer away you know you can hear that uh you can hear him warming up and on the mic and stuff like that and the horses you know their ears perk up even if the wagons are warming up they uh they start to get kind of hot and ready and uh, they all have different ways of sh- showing that Nevada's way of showing that is pacing around and throwing his head and, and really acting like a, a child. You know, he, he kind of throws a fit uh, every single time there's uh, something going on, whether uh, like I said, it's a wagons going around or it's less talking. Uh, if he knows it's race time, uh, uh, he wants to go out. So uh, he's a, he's a pretty funny horse that way.
0: He's a funny horse that way, but he still doesn't like me.
1: He's like that with everybody. He he's uh <laughs> He's a horse. that I have to take a, I, I have to manhandle a lot because, because he's so big. He's like, I don't know, he's over 17 hands and he's just this great behemoth of an animal. Like he's uh, he's so strong, which, which ultimately makes him such a, horse he's you know he's a right wheeler uh he just packs that wagon and he's got so much run and uh he just he walks all over people he just it's like he never learned manners when he was you know uh, a younger horse but uh for me i'm you know maybe my dad but nobody else really uh you know deals with them but uh for me i'm really the only one that that uh can deal with nevada in those times uh, or handle them uh generally speaking uh, just because he he's uh, he takes a lot of uh, you know he takes a stern hand. Let's put it that way. He uh, he you need he needs to know he needs to respect you and he needs to know that you know you gotta grab him by the halter and, and uh, you know have a firm hand when you're. Uh, walking him around and, and stuff like that so he's uh, otherwise his his head just kind of uh, gets him into trouble uh, he just it's almost like the <laughs> the hamster wheel starts spinning and uh, he just gets kind of out of control he gets too excited so he needs to be calmed down a little bit and and, and brought back to reality uh, every now and then uh, when you're dealing with them so don't take that personably. Uh, that's just uh, the kind of the kind of horse he is. And that's also what makes him uh, as good as he is.
0: It's okay. I think him and Bogart are really yin and yang. And that's why they work so well together.
1: Yeah, they, they totally are. Bogart was on that outfit in Century Downs. Uh, he was the right leader. Um, and, and he's the exact opposite. But, you know, again, just saying that uh, I've, you know, been around Bogart my whole life. You seen my dad's horse. Uh, and, and I mean pretty much my whole life. He's 16. We got him when he was oh, like, what, four. So, you know, 12 years, I'm 22. So since I was 10 years old, you know, we've had that horse and uh, I'm around him enough to know. And I think anybody else that would spend time with him uh, uh, an extended period of time could tell that when he hears those things, when he hears the wagon going around the track or the announcer talking or whatever it is uh he just he gets just excited as the rest, but he he shows it in a different way. Um, his posture changes his head perks up his ear perks up his eyes widen there's a there's a a brightness to him there's a brightness in his eye uh, and and uh, he's just at very very high alert you know when when uh, the harness starts to come out or or those types of things so um, they're all different the yeah Nevada and Bogart are are certainly polar their opposites. Bogart's probably the best behaved horse I have.
0: But that could be an age difference thing too, because Nevada hasn't been around the wagons as long as Bogart. Yeah, the the
1: age thing does play a part because Bogart's six, sorry, he's 17 this year. I misspoke. He's 17 uh, and Nevada will be 10 so uh you know Bogart's got double the experience in the wagon game that Nevada does uh but Bogart's pretty well always been like that he's always been a, a real calm horse and for whatever reason I seem to be picking uh all the wild horses uh when I buy them off the tracks uh, I got another one just like that he's a kind of a newer horse but he's one of the best I got um his name is Rule and he is just an absolute nut job he just when when things are going on when we're racing or trying to harness him or unharness him he's just oh he just gets so hot and so worked up he's just he just uh um it's not even nervous energy he's just ignorant about it that he just wants to go to work he just he he loves to go to work it's in, it's insane he's such a pain to handle um all the time harnessing him leading him to the wagon uh putting his bridle on wrapping him he's just walking all over you it takes three people to handle him and then you hook him up and he's just he's just perfect he's just like you get him to hook to the chuck wagon and he doesn't do a thing wrong he stands there perfectly waiting And then you start to go and he just, he tucks his head and he drives into the bit and he, and he uh, just pulls with his shoulders and he just, he's just uh, a super, super competitive horse that just loves to go to work, loves to compete. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's just, uh, it's just, they're all different. That's for sure. And uh, certain, certain things make other horses tick. uh, Then, then, you know, I guess they're opposites. uh, But uh, ultimately, they all have their ways of showing, you know, that that uh, they enjoy competing and that they enjoy going out there night in, night out.
0: All right, well, that's it for our intro, so we'll head over to our interview with Chad Fike. This interview is brought to you by Skylar Farrier Services, serving WPCA drivers and horse owners in Alberta since 2017. Give your horse the WPCA VIP treatment by calling Skylar Farrier Services today at 780-871-1599.
1: And here we are on with our guest a fourth generation chuck wagon driver great grandfather wilbur david and grandfather ron david the 2012 champion outrider of the wpca and one of the hottest uh young and up-and-coming drivers in the wpca to date chad fike how are you chad
2: good thanks yeah uh
1: thanks for having me on here i enjoy your guys' podcast thanks for thanks for coming on um so i i want to get it started uh you know, Try and follow the the formula kind of that we've been going with would you start to walk us through uh the early stages of your career and how you got involved in outriding
2: well i guess if you go back early stages uh it's no different than than you or, or a lot of the other guys in the sport uh i grew up in it from the time i was born until time i was 12 years old my grandpa raised truck wagons um so I spent every summer with with him on the road and uh, touring around with all the other wagon kids and just growing up a wagon brat that way. And then, uh, Grandpa retired when I was twelve, and two thousand was his last year. He ran in Calgary, so yeah, I was out of the sport for a few years there and was helping my Grandpa with his racehorses at the racetrack. And uh, I always had it in my mind I I wanted to be back in the sport and. And the wagons were running at Lethbridge, and I was helping grandpa with the horses down there. And uh, I think I was 15 or so at the time, and I thought, yeah, I, I better get back into it. So uh, I think I just turned 17 and called up Eddie Melville and went to Jim Nevada's place and started outriding there, uh, getting on a bunch of horses in the spring, and yeah, I began my outriding career that
1: way. So, for uh, as far as uh, uh, like a mentor in outriding, uh, the closest thing for you, is that Eddie and Jim? Uh,
2: yeah, more so Eddie, I guess. Uh, we got on a pile of horses that spring. That was the spring of 05, and uh, we just went out to Nevada. There's probably, at that time, I think he had 11 or 12 outriding horses out there. So, I'd go out there every day after school. It was about a half-hour drive from my place out to Jim's, but he was the closest driver to me and yeah Eddie took me under his wing and and taught me everything he knew I guess about the sport and yeah that kind of went from there Uh, I have Eddie give Eddie lots of thanks for for the he gave me early on in my career
1: that's actually a, a pretty good story for uh, maybe if there's some young and up-and-coming uh, up outriders listening because I've been talking to a handful of people uh, about the WCA trying to bring in outriders and, and that's kind of the same story a lot of uh, other kids are in the same situation, you know, going to a driver's place and jumping on horses. They're not necessarily as fortunate as others being, you know, around the races or, or being able to gallop horse in the morning at the track. Um, so that's kind of a, 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 a good memento, I guess. And then, you know, obviously you ended up, I, I think you would have ended up being probably one of the best all time, if, not, if you're not already, um, if you did it longer, because you kind of went out on top uh, at the end of your career there
2: yeah no, I appreciate that, but uh yeah, like uh if I were to tell any young kids what to do is just go, go get on as many horses as you can, and uh when I first started i didn't care what I rode. It could have been a goat you could have led me out on. I just wanted to outride I wanted to be out there and and the good outriders are the ones that can ride the horses that no one else wants to ride or the tougher horses, right, because everyone can ride the good ones, so it's just a matter of getting on as many as you can and and you adjust yourself to the horse you don't try to make the horse adjust to you and and then you'll be successful uh
1: what about when you left out riding because you know as I just said did, did you quit uh or I say quit but obviously you're still out riding here and there but when your focus is shifted to wagon racing uh what was the, the key factor there or what was the the reason for the shift? Was it that you were just itching to get in the box uh, kind of put out riding on the back burner or, or what was the decision there? Cause there's a few guys um, you know, that come to mind, maybe even uh, chance Flads, The first one that I can think of, he, you know, stuck without riding a lot longer, I'd say than you did, you know, kind of made his mark there. Quade Tournier another one stuck without riding. And then uh, I think Quade's actually just about to get into uh, driving. Uh, it would have been this year or, or obviously next year. So what was the shift there? And, and was it tough to leave something that you were so successful with, uh, I guess, behind? Well, yeah,
2: it wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, yeah, different thoughts on it. Like, probably the biggest mistake I ever made in my outriding career was blowing out in a chuck wagon outfit, right? Because once you start driving horses, I don't think <laughs> outriding compares. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I One spring, I worked for Darcy Flood, and we, we ended up driving lots of horses. And I don't know. It was just a, it was a new challenge. I kind of, in my outriding career, I felt like I accomplished everything that I set out to accomplish. And I was just looking for a new challenge. I wanted to... I wanted to get my own team together and, and, you know, you're not competing on depending on how your driver does. It's, it's all on you. And yeah, I was just always looking for a new challenge, I guess. And I, driving's definitely that.
0: So kind of going back to the start of your uh, career, the beginning of your outriding career was documented on the half mile of hell series. So not only were you jumping on a horse and trying to get sanctioned by every move was documented so as a 17 year old did that kind of throw you a little bit not
2: really that shows a little embarrassing because a lot of stuff they like pull clips from one show to the next and make things look a little different than they actually were my actual sanctioning I didn't tell the cameras I was going to do it I wanted to just go do it and I did And then I come back and I'm like, yeah, I'm sanctioned. And the camera crew was actually pretty upset with me. So we actually had to go and stage a sanctioning again and pretend like that was a sanctioning. So I don't know. Yeah, they they made a lot of different things and uh, look different than they actually were. So, but it didn't throw me like I was was focused on being an outrider and, and that was my focus. And I can be pretty stubborn. So.
1: I kind of thought it'd be nice to have a a show like that again. Like if we could do it nowadays, I think maybe you could do a little bit different and you could do it. uh, um, I I don't know if I just think you could do it a bit, bit of a style. I'd like to have a a piece in that or, or at least uh, be around when it's being done nowadays. Cause I think that could gain a lot of traction for us. I think there's a lot of stories and a lot of, uh, a lot of little details about the sport, which is again, why we started this podcast that, that go unnoticed. And I think a a show like that would, uh, uh, I don't know. I think it could gain a lot of traction, but I guess that's neither here nor there. Maybe that's something for the future. Um, Last question about the outriding for me, what's your favorite, do you have a favorite outriding memory or story? Uh, Maybe one of a big race or a lesson you learned uh, or, or something about, maybe one of the other guys, like you mentioned Eddie, obviously, uh, I outrode a little bit when, when Eddie was still out riding um, or guys like Rio and chance and, and uh, you know, Chad, there's actually when you were starting. Cause, cause you're, you know, I don't know what you would be about five to 10 years earlier than me out riding. Um, so do you have a, do you have a couple of good stories you could share with us?
2: Uh, yeah. Well, I, I guess going back to, probably the ride that I remember the least was probably my first ride ever because it was all a blurb but I was uh <laughs> I was out riding with Chance Vegan for Darcy Flad there and we were on the two barrel in Lethbridge and and Eddie taught me to throw the stove with two hands right you know, always make sure yeah. it's lower and I was riding a horse named Turn and you actually if you watch Half Mile Hell Show you can see it horn goes in this horse because I don't have him he's in my mouth but the lead line he jumps on me and like I'm going down halfway to the top barrel. And I ended up putting my left hand on the ground and running to the top. And I just remember Chance yelling, get on. So I got on, got around the top, and then I was like way on the outside fence, like just mine was blowing right. And yeah. chance is like my lead line was dangling. And chance says, Go pick up your lead line. So like Chance was right there with me the whole way and and I appreciated a veteran. Yeah, he kind of talked me through the whole race. I think Darcy ended up with the fourth day money off that run, so he was pretty excited. So, yeah, I I don't even remember the race. I didn't even know Darcy won. I don't think right. It was all all kind of a blur. And then it's it's amazing how the sport slows down for you after that. And who what? Yeah, Dale Gray. He he helped me out too as another veteran. He always used. I used to always go blowing by him in the back stretch because I was like. I was as wide as my whip when I started out riding, right? I couldn't hold them horses. And he comes to me and he said, do you, do you like this horse? And I'm like, yeah, he's, well, then maybe you should save him so you can ride him again tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he's like, you just stay beside me. I remember it was in Penolka. He's like, you just wrap up and you sit beside me. So I wrapped up and I'm holding this horse, holding this horse. And I just couldn't do it anymore. And I just said, sorry, Dale. And I was gone. I went flying past them. So. I couldn't yeah I couldn't save my horses but luckily as light enough back then I they were wasn't too hard on them anyway but those are kind of two of the ones that stick out in my mind off the cuff I guess here
1: that's awesome Dale Dale's a great guy I wish I started out riding like I wish I was maybe a little bit older or, or he was still around when I started because uh, he seemed to be like uh, certainly one of the greats I know he won a lot of stuff and and he taught uh, you know for me personally the two mentors that I had outriding were probably you when i was real young and then uh rory when i got a little bit older uh, just because he was riding for dad and stuff so um and and dale you know taught rory quite a bit i think so uh i i wish that i was around when he was still outriding, but unfortunately he was retired who was the top guy just out of curiosity uh, or you know a couple of the top guys when you were just starting
2: back then it, it was dale and chance they battled it out It one year it was it was dale I think uh, Dale had run a consecutive, and then up until I started, that's when Chance Began really got hot. And he started to win, in and then obviously Chad Cosgrave was thrown into the mix there a few years too. But yeah, uh, Dale, he was a he was a cowboy. He just quietly went out there and did his job, but did it well. Like he was a he was a good cowboy. He was fun to ride with.
1: I think there was a lot, um, and this is no shade on the outriders nowadays, but I, I think back then there was a lot tougher outriding or, or was it, sorry, it was, there was a lot better. I don't know how to say this. There was a lot more qualified outriders, I guess you could say, like when you think about it, you know, like Chad Cosgrave, Chance Vegan, Dale Gray, you, um, you know, Eddie was, was, uh, uh, you know, a. a top quality outrider back then Rio uh Sean Caffro like you just go down the list and and how much experience uh is in that outriding roster versus like a roster from today or the past five years uh it's it certainly uh were some pretty incredible times back then I would say
2: yeah for sure you had some she had some good riders back then like you think Quindorchester and stuff like you get to them two outrider shows you better not be making and spit fake and and not getting by on a horse because you know there's about four or five guys sitting on the fence that that are going to get by on the horse and they'll have your job if you don't do it right so um what saved us back then how we were able to get in is is the four outrider shows and, and so guys would give you a chance and if you got on with them in a four outrider show and and did well they sometimes would keep you on in uh, in the two outrider shows just to get a higher call out of you
1: right I I actually remember that like just when I was starting everybody would tell me like if you if you watching the races you're watching the outriders ever you see a guy that messes up I got told from you know a few different people they said you know go to that driver's bar and just say hey man I'm sitting on the fence I'm ready like try and get a ride because when I started it was it was pretty tough to get a ride you know I got in here and there but I mean there was like 20 something guys on the roster and they were all far better than me I was just starting and I was like you I was pretty small like when I started I was 130 40 pounds somewhere around there so um, yeah definitely definitely a a tougher time but I think we're actually seeing a a kind of a a resurge I guess you could say Uh, we got quite a few uh, young kids coming up and and that's actually pretty exciting for me personally
2: it is yeah it's good for the sport Um, you you know you think of uh, longevity of chuck wagons a lot of our new drivers these days are coming from outriders so I think (laughs) i think if you uh you know you you strengthen your outrider pool you're you're gonna strengthen your driver pool later on too right it's the 15 10 year plan so no there's some the model boys fired up in the last few years uh like there's some there's some good kids firing up and there's a pretty good pool of talent there right now
1: totally and even one uh that sticks out for me is that trey McGilvery. like that kid was like 15 and he was holding leaders similar to ethan um Otto willow so there's there's lots of good uh new outriders coming up obviously some we haven't mentioned i want to shift gears here a little bit uh and, and go into your family history a little bit with chuck wagon racings i think that's important the heritage where it comes from we're a heritage sport obviously so uh your great grandfather uh started in the chuck wagons can you walk us in from there
2: yeah i i don't I don't know a whole bunch about his career. I, I feel like he just maybe filled in for a few guys at the Stampede here and there. I don't know if he really had his own rig going. But then uh, my grandpa and his brothers uh, kind of got their own outfits together and uh, and traveled the circuit. Um, my Uncle Les was one of the first ones. He's uh, older than grandpa. And then uh, Roy and, and Ron, grandpa, followed later on getting their own teams together
1: was was your grandpa uh one of your main driving mentors when you started to learn how to drive
2: uh yeah absolutely like he's uh he was out with me every spring breaking new horses and and so we talk horses that way but um yeah uh yeah he, he is the biggest to critique critique driving and and everything like that um a lot with driving is kind of, you got to, no different than outright, you got to learn as you go and trial and error too, right? There's a lot of stuff that can't be taught. You're just going to have to figure it out for yourself. But yeah, by far he's been the guy that's been there all the time, teaching you rights and wrongs and maybe, maybe learning off of, you know, his mistakes is kind of a, would be a benefit as well.
1: Were there were there any other guys like uh, around the tour that you spent a lot of time with to learn driving or was it was it a lot of it uh, just gaining more experience and and kind of figuring it out for yourself?
2: Uh, well, a lot of it's gaining experience and figuring it out for yourself. I'm kind of stubborn, so I learn stuff the hard way a lot of times and right. then, then it sticks better with me. But, you know, I've I've picked a lot of guys brains and. Even when I started out riding, I just watch everyone, and and that's no different than driving. You just watch everyone, watch how everyone drives. I used to watch your grandpa drive all the time, and I always thought it was pretty cool how he could uh, he could get around the barrels and make it look smooth, make it look easy, and uh, yeah. So you pay attention to the good drivers, and and then if guys make mistakes, you pay attention and see what you would have done different too. And then later on in my career, I've, you know, I was always barn right beside Mike vegan and Rick Frazier in Grand Prairie. And the first show of the year, you're excited and get up there and you're helping each other hook and stuff. So those two later on in their careers, uh, give me some tips and pointers, whether training, feeding, what have you. And, and, uh, they've helped me out as well. So no, there's, it's kind of a, a community of people that pay attention to and that'll, help you along the way if you're willing to listen and willing to ask questions and catch them at a weak moment they might give you a tip or two
1: right i i kind of uh i kind of like that about our sport obviously like uh you know it's a it's a real family atmosphere it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or what you're doing there uh you know if you're a young guy starting out a lot of guys will jump in it's almost like they're eager to to help or to give you uh, tips and pointers and uh obviously we just had rick fraser uh on our last show and and uh he's helped a lot of guys actually uh starting out myself included um and one thing too is is mike vegan i always kind of thought that he was a bit of an underrated driver I, I never really felt that he got the credit that he deserved like even when uh you know he was th- this last uh the last few years just when he was on his way out uh he even had a lot of horsepower yeah he, uh, he just i don't know he always just uh, Kind of went unnoticed in my mind,
2: yeah well, I'd like to pay attention to the guys that peak around the right times, right that they're they're starting to run tough at the big shows, and Mike, in my mind, was always one of them guys, so that's why I was really picking his brain and and uh and figuring out how he did things because i for a while there I'd sometimes have a hot start at the start of the year and then then I'd have a bit of a valley through the Good Paying shows, the Pinocchio Calories, and then we'd come on again there later on. So I picked his brain, and he actually helped me out with some good pointers. And, and yeah, we improved them bigger shows last year, I thought, and I was looking forward to this year, actually.
1: So that leads me to think that it was probably something to do with your spring training or your, your uh, horse, horse usage. What, what exactly did you change? Can you tell us?
2: Uh, uh how I fed in the winter was one of the one of the biggest things oh, okay. and, and training as well yeah so he he told me just just change one thing see if it works he said I bet you'll notice the difference and he was right so I mean he comes from a long line of horsemen and and he's grown up around your grandpa as well right so he's been around some good wagon drivers that you'd be silly not to listen to to someone like Mike
1: actually uh, uh Kurt said on the show when we had him on too and uh I never had to make that mistake because I always had grandpa looking after my horses in the winter and I and I really do believe in that like putting the proper bottom in your horses in the winter and and uh kind of getting that fat on them so I, I yeah that that certainly makes sense in my mind what about uh your mother she seems like a huge huge part in your and your brother's career uh did she, like what role did she play, I guess, uh, so far for you?
2: Well, yeah, you got to remember from the time she was born as well. Like my grandpa was 18 when he started driving and that was the year he had mom. So she was born and she was in the sports a lot longer than me, obviously. And so she had a passion for the sport. when I started out riding, you know, she, he wanted to come down the road too and watch, obviously, right? So she got into judging, and did that for a few years, and then I think it was when my brother came over and started running with the WPCA that she got out of the judging, and uh, was just in the barn helping. and And now for for me, she's uh, she looks after the outriding horses. She she gets them ready. So. Get saddles ready, tack, all that stuff. So I don't have to think about the outriding pen. I know it's looked after and she's pretty uh <laughs> she she likes her spots over there. So the first night of every show she uh she makes sure she goes over early. She's one of the first ones there and gets the gets the prime spot so the horses don't get hurt or kicked by another horse, right? She's she's pretty serious about it. So I don't ever have to worry about my outriding horses. They're they're looked after during the races and she still works full time in the summer so she goes back home in between shows and and works uh through the weekdays and then then runs back out to whatever show we may be at the time so she loves the sport um and now her boyfriend perry comes with us down the road too and he's a farrier so he helps us out with shoeing and i think we might have him addicted to the sport now too so that, uh, it don't take much you know if you hang around the sport long it gets in your blood and, and you, it just has a way about it
1: no that you're you're totally right there like even I you know I've only been around for a handful of years but even I had some friends that come along and and uh you know predominantly barn hands or or whoever it is and and uh you can only be a barn hand for so long you know until it's like well or or uh you know uh, a helper if you will or around the barns and then uh, you can only come around for a couple of years before it's time to start doing something for yourself in the sport and, and it's uh it's certainly a very addicting uh lifestyle so that's uh, that's funny what about Jordy Do you guys ever work off of each other? Your brother, like you guys, uh, train together? or Anything? I'm un- unfamiliar with it.
2: Um, we used to back when I first started driving. So he was he was living down at High River there at his father-in-law's place. So, um, I had a house in Red Deer at the time, so that wasn't really good for training horses in the town of or city of Red Deer. So I'd go down there and uh, we would train together. And then I had bought my place up here by Cremona. Uh, west of didsbury here and and so that's when we we never really trained together after that but we're still if it's helping each other hook in the morning holding each other's leaders in the morning yeah we're still there for one another we've helped each other out with horses uh through the years uh here and there like not so much as some people but it's just you know every now and then you might get stuck for an out riding horse or whatever so we've, we've helped each other out that way. And, and we're each other's biggest fan is, as long as uh, he runs second and I run first, we're pretty happy for one another. But uh, yeah, it goes the other way too, right? So it's, uh, yeah, we're each other's biggest fan too. So it's good to have have family in the sport
1: have you guys ever uh made any horse trades or anything like that any that worked out real well or or not so good for you between you and your brother
2: we did actually um i had a new right leader Uh, as my first year i was going to calgary and i think he was a second year horse and i'd put him on the right lead and he worked really well there for a couple shows and then he started cheating bad and i didn't really have anything to replace him so my brother had an old Old faithful horse there, a horse that he had gotten off a of Grand Prix. Nice right leader, like safe, consistent. So he made a trade, and he took the right leader that was giving me some problems just because he was younger. And and then I took the older, safer horse going into Calgary my first year. Right, you wanna you wanna be safe and just you know put a go, good show on that way. And so I ended up using that right leader for a few years. Stony is his name, and I don't think I hit a barrel with that horse. On he was he he'd go until you asked him to turn, and way he went, he wouldn't turn the fastest or run the fastest, but he was just a good old consistent horse. And, and my brother tried hooking that horse the, that I traded him the next spring, and he didn't want to drive anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I got the better end of that trade. <laughs> I I don't bring it up because yeah, it was probably frustrating for him at the time
1: no doubt no doubt do you do you prefer a right leader that you know flops kind of or or turns automatically or do you prefer one that you have to turn um
2: a bit of both i don't i don't like the ones that cheat but i don't like the ones that you gotta pull all the way around I, i like them knowing where they're supposed to be going and you're just picking up slack and finishing the turn but i don't want them the ones that are diving at that top barrel when you're only halfway up there, right? And their whole outfit sets up off them. So, uh, it's it's a bit of a combination of the two, I guess.
1: Yeah. There's a happy medium in there for sure. What about your favorite, uh, horse or horses that you've had and, and where did you come? Uh, I guess my
2: favorite horse, uh, as of right now would be two, four and his paper name is two, four time. He was actually the first horse I bought off the racetrack. Um, Me and my brother were down horse shopping in Lethbridge. And uh, a lady said, I got a horse for sale in my barn. Are you guys interested? And my brother seen it said, well, you might as well buy him. You're looking for quantity. And looking at the horse, he wasn't a super big horse. He had just won a race that day, actually a $1,500 claimer. So I guess- What track is this? This is in Lethbridge. Okay. So, uh, made the, made the deal, uh, paid 1500 bucks for him. Like I said, I was just trying to buy quality at that time. You're just trying to build a herd. Right. So it was just whatever you could get your hands on. And I'll tell you what he's, uh, he's been my best horse ever since I started. He was on the wheel his first year ever. And that's when we were making the dashes at, uh, in the Western there at Grand Prairie and, and Dawson Creek. And then his second year I moved him up to the left lead and uh, I guess every one of my day money runs other than I believe one he's been on there so I yeah he's he's been the kingpin is 2-4 and uh, yeah he's so you, still out you would
1: have year. had you would have had him for what eight years now
2: yeah so I guess the first year I would have drove um with the westerns would have been 2012 so yeah yeah you're looking at eight nine years now
1: that's awesome that's awesome I always love hearing about the the horses because that's really what our sport revolves around is the nice horses and the uh you know the ones that you know are the staples in the outfits uh, uh like your horse there so what about the new ones you got any like real nice new ones coming up some second third year horses or anything like that
2: I do have a few nice new ones. Um a uh, couple that hold some track records and stuff at at uh, one holds a track record in Northland. It's another one holds a track record at uh, Century Downs. And nice. yeah, the I've uh my sponsor gave me some money to go horse shopping with there a couple years ago and, <laughs> and I used it. So <laughs> yeah. we were able to buy some buy some nice horses off the racetrack. So yeah, I'm excited, but only got to drive them a couple times here and then I had to go to work this summer so I know they can all hold the pole up so we're we're looking good.
1: Yeah that's awesome when you when you kind of get the keys of the kingdom I haven't had that uh, quite yet but I've used grandpa's checkbook once so that was pretty (laughs) much the same thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah that's all right when you can do that.
0: Chad how has your shopping changed when it comes to going to the racetrack over the years because I know both your in-laws are first trainers so has that kind of changed uh some things for you
2: um absolutely yeah like like I said early on in my career I was going for quantity so you could throw whatever maiden you had at me he is worth a shot if he is cheap enough so I was buying him um now I can be a little fussier and, and like you said, because my in-laws are at the racetrack you can pick the brain, they kind of know the horses. Um, they keep their eyes open for me. They, they know the style of horse I like now. So, uh, especially the, the father-in-law, he, uh, he actually just texted me the other day, uh, horse that they had just bought for $10,000. He was bought a year ago for $1.2 million. And he said, ah, it's worth a shot for us. But if he doesn't work on the racetrack here, uh, he might make a pretty good wagon horse. So he's always got his eye open and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's helped a lot. So now I guess I don't, I can't really buy quantity so much anymore. I try to look for a little more quality and I find it's them horses get in the lineup a lot quicker and, and, uh, them classy horses, right. That they're, they're so nice, easier to break and, and, get into the lineup and start making a difference early on.
1: Where are most of those horses coming from, Chad? Like uh whereabouts in the States, I'm assuming.
2: Yeah, yeah, all over. Um, some from Phoenix. Um uh father-in-law was running down in New Mexico their their last winter and now he's in Prairie Meadows in Texas there this past winter. Um I got some out of Winnipeg and and a few out of Alberta here. So yeah, kinda all over. Just I don't know. As long as I can get them home, that's kind of keep your eye open wherever.
1: Right. How many would you would you uh, pick up a year to kind of refresh your inventory to to get the uh, odd new one in?
2: Past few years, it's been right around the four to six range, I guess. Um, okay. Like, got my herd built up, and they're pretty young herd. So, yeah, I don't. Ha- I can't resell my chuck wagon horses. Uh, as easily as some guys so like I say I try to go for quantity keep my numbers low keep my costs down that way so I'm not feeding a bunch of horses through the winter so yeah that's that's kind of the number I've been going around (laughs) the past while I don't know if that's the right number or the wrong number if I should be buying more or should be buying less but that's just what it's worked out to be that's what's come available and that's what I've ended up with
1: I think for for a, kind of a one man show like you are, you know, you don't necessarily work too closely with anybody else like some other guys i think that's a pretty healthy number i should get around that number too as well but i'm a, i'm a i'm a, I'm not as developed as you in the driving or the barn uh territory so i'm still you know buying 10 12 horses every single time i go to buy which is it's too many you're right it's a, it's a headache and, and feeding them and and whatever but i also kind of think you know i was always told uh to, to to try and buy as many as you can fill the trailer uh, as as grandpa always said and, and uh, you know through through time that's proved to be uh one of the better um philosophies i guess when you're when you're buying new horses for the sport of chuck wagon racing because you know guys like ben's miller do that uh, uh grandpa did that uh a handful of guys were, were like that you know because because like you say like that two four horse you always just kind of find the one that's uh, maybe the diamond in the rough where it's not necessarily the classiest horse in the world but for me at least uh, chuck wagon racing is a, a totally different sport than uh than just flat racing so I, I kind of think you can get uh, the odd really nice horse that that was maybe a $500 horse off the track
2: yeah yeah I don't disagree with that at all like obviously you can't argue with what your grandpa did and what Kurt Benzmiller is doing now it's just it I've had a hard time fitting that into my program going to work right away after chuck wagons I I have a hard time to taking time off early on in the fall to go down to the race tracks so I'm kinda at the mercy of what comes available, you know, through contact sort of thing. And uh, yeah, yeah, sponsorship wise, once I get the funding behind me and you can take a little time off, maybe go down there and fill a trailer. It sure make the spring a lot funner if you could break uh, 12 or 14 rather than just four, right? Like who, but who doesn't love breaking horses? So no, hopefully one day we can get there. And yeah, you're right, no, the the guys that run tough and, and are running tough, that's what they do. They, they load up.
1: Well, it's, it's the, it's kind of the sport. Like you're, you're, you know, you're in the same boat, like I'm in the same boat as you really, uh, you're kind of at the mercy of, of your life too. Right. And where you are, where you are at in life and, and, uh, It's not necessarily just super easy to go buy, you know, two trailer loads full of horses, 15 horses or 20 horses or whatever it is, and then, you know, break them, take all that time off work. Or, because, you know, if you're not in Calgary, you're not necessarily. Uh, where you need to be uh, in life financially, then <laughs> it 's not a cheap sport, everybody knows that, so uh, you 're kind of at the mercy of your own situation so uh, I totally understand you there I think that 's why I got to get down to like the four to six range, kind of get some maybe more some peace in my life so i don 't have so many horses around all the time. yeah,
2: my thoughts on it is it costs as much to feed a feed a good one as it does to feed a bad one, so you might as well try to start with a good one and then hopefully they like the chuck wagons too right so that keeps your cost down a little bit that way
1: yeah you're totally right that's a, that's a good tip what about your uh favorite tour stop and i'm assuming you're gonna say calgary so could you give me a second one well i guess going by what i missed
2: the most this year would have been grand prairie like it hit me hard one grand wow. prairie rolled around and i wasn't wasn't pulling in there and we, we always go up a week early to Grand Prairie and you're driving the new ones and it's a new year, every clean slate, everything's exciting. Right. So yeah, I know I, I, I've missed Grand Prairie this year. That really hit home when, when that rolled around and we weren't pulling in.
1: It's been a bizarre, bizarre year. And I think it's been bizarre worldwide. Obviously we're not the only ones in this boat. Uh, what do you think, this leads for us do you think we're going to be back in the you know full swing of things next year or do you do you have any um, you know, thoughts on the current situation of, of potentially where our sport goes from here. Because for me personally, like um, you know, I think we're gonna be fine. I think we're gonna have lots of guys, but I, I can't help but think that that this is gonna be obviously financially challenging uh for a lot of people, uh, even come next year, you know, for myself included. Uh like, you know, I'm trying to drive a wagon and, and uh try to make it work and, and work slow. The oil patch is slow. So um do you do you think or do you sorry do you have any thoughts about where we go from here
2: well yeah uh, I'm a firm believer that the sport's going to survive no matter what uh whether it's going to look the same maybe not probably not but the sport's always going to survive in one shape or form uh you look right now there's a bit of a, a league forming up in in Saskatchewan and they got a bit of a tour going on out there right so that just goes to show you it don't matter like no money or a ton of money guys just love racing horses and the horses just love doing it so i wish i was in the position financially to (laughs) to go out there and join them to be honest with you but it just don't make financial sense for me right so the sport's always going to survive uh there's going to be most most guys are going to survive we're all handy enough people that we just went to work right uh when we found out the season was canceled, you just go to work, you get your winter feed paid for and you survive the winter and, and hopefully your sponsors and everyone else carries on and, and things turn around a little bit for them. And maybe you need to cut back. Maybe you don't get two hired hands. Maybe you don't get any hired hands, right? You just, you find ways to cut costs and, and, and sport might not look the same, but, uh, but
1: it's still going to exist best in one way shape or form i i have no doubt about that it's actually it's actually amazing like uh for the first two to three years i raced i spent uh i spent a regular person's salary it was uh, over six figures a year on chuck wagon racing alone you know after all in the money i made in the winter from the oil field the money i made from sponsorship the money i made from outriding. riding uh, i came out at a dead even wash when i was 18 or whatever i started driving and uh, i thought that i needed that amount of money to keep racing and last year um i actually when I did race I, I, in the WCA, I didn't have that amount of money, which is why I left W.P.C.A. Uh, and I, and I totally wasn't sure if I was going to make it, but, uh, you're right there. Like, uh, you know, I, I surprised myself. Uh, you just, you just kind of find ways to make it work. Uh, you know, maybe a friend comes and helps you when you're <laughs> on your 18th or 19th hour and chores still aren't done or, or uh, whatever it is, but it's, it's actually amazing, you know, that you can keep pushing and and just keep uh, making it happen. I guess, no matter what, like you said, in the Saskatchewan circuit, I think that's uh, pretty great of those guys, you know, to, to, to keep running. And and like you said, no money, uh, lots of money. It doesn't matter. People are still going to race wagons. That's
2: right. Yeah. No, it's, it's the passion for the sport and passion for the horses. And um, you know, the hardest part about all this is seeing how upset the horses were that, they weren't running and how upset my kids were was probably this you know those were probably the two toughest things about all this. So without wagons, what are these horses gonna do, right? So just I believe it'll survive in one way, shape, or form, just for people's sheer love of the horse and 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 love of competing as well, right? So no, it's it's gonna keep going and and it might not look the same, but yeah. Uh, all the listeners out there, they'll have chuck wagon races to watch in one way, shape or form next year. I can guarantee it.
1: I totally agree. I'm optimistic there with you. So again, uh, just changing it up a little bit here. What about some most, the memorable race moments uh, in your career so far or races, I suppose. Um, Races like, I don't know. I, I can't say narrow
2: it down to one, I guess there's been some races i've been proud of um we've we've had some a few big runs we've pieced together here and there but ah nothing like i never haven't been satisfied i guess i should say yet right i haven't won any shows you know we've we've made the dash in grand prairie but you know ended up hitting a barrel and we didn't win that one so in the semis at at calgary last year we got close but it w- it was wasn't satisfying right cuz you, you always want to You want to do better, so yeah, I've never, never had that really accomplished feeling yet in my driving career. But uh, we've we've had a few exciting races that we've pieced together throughout it. But we'll just yeah, keep building and and hopefully one day we got something we can hang our hat on.
1: You kind of touched on it there uh, that you're not necessarily satisfied and, and I I know exactly what that's like. I've never satisfied, especially with the, the wagons and the way things are going. If Even if I do have a successful show, it just, it bothers me that something didn't go right. And uh, I wanted to ask you this because I, you know, I think about the sport and, and uh, you know, I see myself kind of in the same position you are or Chance Vegan is or, uh, you know, whoever, some of these younger guys obviously i'm a bit behind you guys but when i talked to vegan uh on the podcast he said that he never really even had a plan so far uh about you know how to make the calgary stampede or sorry how to win the calgary stampede or or get on top so and and that kind of surprised me because i i think about that quite often so do you have a a general plan as a young guy kind of an up-and-comer uh you know maybe build the barns up, uh, find a few key horses. Like do you have a general plan on, on how to, to get to the top or are you just kind of taking it one, one day, one race at a time.
2: Oh, geez. I wish there's a formula on how to get to the top. <laughs> I, I would love to apply that, but no, I, I take it one day at a time. I've, I was that way as an outrider too. It's one race at a time. You get through that one, you do your best and then, then you move on to the next day and, and you don't try to overwhelm yourself with the big picture too much right you just uh one day at a time and and always paying attention trying to learn something new i guess would be the would be the other thing if if you're not trying to get faster you're probably not gonna and you always got to learn something to to try and do that
1: maybe i need to take a page out of your guys' books cuz i i just worry myself sick sometimes if things not are going according to plan or or the horse that i thought would be my superstar horse in 5 years and he's only on year 2 started being a pig one night or whatever it is i just i i, I just always think about that so maybe i'm on the, maybe i need to to focus on the now uh like you guys cuz you guys are are uh, pretty successful and and speaking on that success in my opinion uh I guess it wouldn't have been last year because I wasn't around as much last year. But uh, let's call it the past two years, in my eyes, at least. Uh, uh, you can uh, either tell me this, this is right or wrong, but it seemed like you almost had like a, a breakout year, or, or that you were turning the corner, so to speak, uh, as far as your driving and your your horsepower and everything. Uh, was there anything that that you know contributed? that success or uh the the recent you know peak that you have had so far in your driving and, and career?
2: Well not really like um more or less early on in my career I'd throw a big run and then I'd wipe out a barrel or I'd hit a barrel and miss a barrel, right? I I was so hot and cold. So you know I that frustrated me. I didn't want to be that kind of driver. I wanted to be more consistent. So for a few years there I just focused on you know, get around them. That's get around the barrels, get, you know, focus on your driving. And then once my driving started coming, then I thought, well, now we better start getting faster and try to win something. So, and that's just kind of in the last year or two, um, you know, the reason I wanted to get consistent is obviously Calgary, um, the way their invite system works is, is safety is a huge part of that and i thought if you know if i'm clearing out the infield one night and then throwing a big run the other night they're not going to remember the big run it'll they'll be like ooh you see you know he wiped out the infield so that was kind of my thinking on that and then then once you kind of get that behind you then you can start worrying about getting faster i guess it's kind of kind of my thinking behind it i don't know if that's right or wrong but that's that was my theory at the
1: time well you had to have something because you 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 know you made eight top 10 runs last year in 2019 i don't have the 2018 stats in front of me and you had a calgary day money last year so there's got to be some like from what i've seen at least uh you know the last couple years you started daylighting guys maybe not every single night but there was times where you'd outturn the whole infield and it's not like you're hooked incredibly easy you know you're hooked in the middle of the pack or upper end so you got to have some some uh you know serious horsepower coming up in your barns well i
2: don't know like i started to just pay attention to the guys that were you know making nice four barrel turns like you know, obviously the first guy that comes to mind is Luke Tournier and, and some of them guys and and you watch how their leaders turn and I was breaking horses last spring and I was, I use my outriding horses a lot of time to break with new ones. And this outriding horse that I used to have on the wagon at one time was like turning unreal, just like breaking new ones, right? So I'm like, well you might get a upgrade in his career here again and so then i i put him on the right lead of that short barrel outfit and and that was the horse that you seen uh and obviously two four was beside him on the left lead so he'd help him start and the old out riding horse and make a nice turn at the top and and that was probably the difference maker they didn't start or charge overly hard but their early speed from that top barrel to the first turn was that's what would get guys it seemed right. like um but everything had to go good too, right? I had to be lined up good. <laughs> the stars had to align. It wasn't it wasn't every time I went to the four barrel I was daylighting guys. It was yeah, things had to had to work out just right. And we made a couple big runs with them, but yeah, that's that would that was that outfit.
1: I actually, I actually forgot about that. I remember you telling me about that in Rocky because, because uh, I was asked or talking to you because we were kind of in the running, you, like we were either one and two or two and three or or whatever last year. Uh, and I remember you telling me about that story about uh, your outriding horse. Is that something that you're going to continue to do? Because to me, that's kind of uh, it's not. Usual, I would say, to, to drive your outriding horses. But I think it's becoming increasingly popular because there's been a lot of guys that have had success uh, breaking and driving their outriding horses. And then all of a sudden, one turns a corner. Is that something you're going to keep in your? Uh, yeah, location? moving back and forth. Because I was
2: rocky last year. I moved that horse back to the outrun pen because I realized why he ended up there to begin with. So <laughs> I put a different <laughs> horse on the great lead. But uh, I okay. learned that from Luke Ternier When I I'd hold leaders for him kind of in the middle of my outriding career. And I mean, if you liked an outriding horse, you didn't tell Lukey as fast because he'd be hooking him the next night. And if he didn't like a wagon horse, he'd be riding him the next night too. Right. I I learned that from him. He, uh, a lot of times his horses would flip flop and I don't know whether a horse ain't feeling right or whatever. If if you move them to the outriding pen, sometimes something clicks with them and, and maybe they'll drive again so yeah i learned that from luke he he's an artist of the sport he he pays attention to uh to the operation quite well so you uh so i pay attention to him i guess and try to learn too
1: that's kind of funny because yeah i I rode for Luke a fair bit. Now, uh, he, he uses me quite a bit and that's, you know, I was talking to Quade one of the nights and I said, well, who's this horse? I didn't recognize him. He said the right leader, uh, from last night or never. <laughs> and this was in Calgary. And I thought, man, if I had a right leader, that was a cow Cal- or, you know, Calgary quality horse, never would I put him in the <laughs> outriding pen. But the way Quade put it is he said, well, he's got to earn his oats, right? You know, so everybody, that's kind of the way, uh, Luke, you know, runs his operation is, is, uh, he, he uses his horses and, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's also good because they're, they're also racehorses, right? So the, the more you use them, uh, I almost think like the more, you know, sane they get and, uh, you know, obviously they don't run their guts out every single night, uh, because you know, they, you couldn't use a, uh, actual racehorse that much. Like, uh, you know, they would, they would run, themselves uh, into the ground, but you know, with our sport, it's a little bit different. So um that that was uh, interesting to me. So that's interesting that the that's where you got that from.
2: Yeah, well, horses just want a job, right? So they're they're happy whatever job you give them. Um, that's not just a wagon horse. That's any horse. Like horses don't like to just stand out in a the pasture. They want to be used for something, whether it's roping or a race horse or. Or anything like that, they just want a purpose, they want a job, and that's when they're happiest, so yeah, whether they're in their out riding pen or or the wagon pen they they just want a job, and whether they excel at one or the other that's
1: up to them i I totally agree you're hitting it right on the head for me there uh you know horses need jobs, horses that have jobs get fed, they get cared for, they get looked after, they're healthy uh you know it's a lot like people too, like you need a, you need a purpose right, and, and then the, especially a lot of the good uh wagon horses uh you and i know this but maybe not everybody else does uh the best wagon horses just are so competitive and they just absolutely love to you know go out there and, and they're just chomping at the bit all the time and they just do these you know they have funny uh little quirks about them uh to let you know that they're ready to go that night or, or whatever it is
2: yeah no that's absolutely right they uh uh, I think Logan Gorst on your podcast explained it the best about the, the dog laying on the couch and, and you bring a leash out and they're bouncing all over the house right they that's the way horses are when the, the harness starts jingling in in our sport anyway right they they know they get to go and they get excited and if you don't throw the harness on them then they put a pretty good pout on so yeah no you're absolutely right
1: there. Well, even even like I'll see horses like running in the pasture or something. Like obviously there's no racing this year, but it's just funny. Like, you know, it's I don't know if it's bred right into them or 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 well, obviously it is, but or or what is exactly going on in their brains. But even in the pasture, they'll be, you know, running against each other. And you can just tell, like they're just competitive animals or competitive by nature. So that's personally for me, uh that's one of the uh my favorite things about the thoroughbred horses. Um so I guess it was probably a couple weeks ago, or maybe a month ago now, Cass had your wife, Caitlin, on Women of the Wagons. And I guess there's probably some stuff to clear up. (laughs) Yeah, what do you want to know?
0: First off, I was told, Chad, that you cannot cook.
2: Oh, that's not true. That's not true. I can cook real well, just don't tell her.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying you put on a facade just so she cooks? absolutely and then uh let's talk about the poster because uh that that's the one that i find really interesting so what were your thoughts when you left the poster and the trading card out
2: well this is prior to smartphones and stuff and i thought i'd send her with a picture to remember me by and that's all i had in the trailer at the time i think it was a it wasn't a poster well maybe it was a poster i think i sent sent her a trader card is what i sent with her but it was just a picture to remember me by. Put on her bedstand. That's actually a good move. I should use that. Yeah, and I didn't sign it for her. it. It just happened to be signed because I was at the kids' day breakfast or something the week before. So that's all that good. was
1: about. Good guy too. He eh? does stuff for the kid. <laughs> oh, for sure.
0: But, but you were the one that originally slid into the DMs.
2: Uh, well. You didn't get the full story there because she come back to the wagon barns looking for me. (laughs) She was, she spotted me walking through the, the barns in Northlands shopping for, for wagon horses. And she kind of did some inquiring and scoped it out and figured out where my camp was. So uh, I guess you could say, yeah, I slid into DMs after that.
0: I, I still say it's the original sliding into the GMs because it was Facebook.
2: Yeah, I don't even know if there was Messenger at that time. I might have to post on her wall. I don't know how I did it.
0: And now um, let's talk about the trophy wife versus the participation <laughs> wife.
2: Yeah, well, I was having supper with the crew there last, uh, last year at Century Downs and our one hired girl she was you know a r- real life starts hitting her last show of the year and asking her what she was up to come fall and she was gonna have to she's gonna have to go back to school and and she wasn't looking forward to it and stuff I said well you could always forget about school and just be a trophy wife like Caitlin and then I said well maybe she's more of a participation trophy wife so
1: <laughs> that's how that came about. I, uh, hey, Chad, one thing I, I forgot to ask you is uh, you got that real good look, looking wagon. It's I, I think it's one of the best designs out there. It's it's green, it's white, but it's, it's actually incredibly hard to explain over a podcast. So maybe uh, we can post a picture of this later. But uh, what about some of your sponsors? It seems like uh, you've you got a pretty good uh, relationship with Simon so yeah, far. Um, uh, they started sponsoring me, I believe, three years ago at Calgary.
2: They bought me and Peter Simons. It's a Quebec-based company and it's Canada's longest-owned family business. I think it was founded in the late 1800s, I believe. Um, and Peter, one of the brothers, that is now the owner, Peter Simons, and he flew out to Calgary the first year. Uh, they sponsored us, and he loved it. He was he was hooked. Great guy, like incredible family man. All is lot of family that worked for him or friends of family and stuff so he's come out every year since um he was a sponsor that that helped me out with some purchasing of horses and he just he's seen it he's seen that you know maybe just to get to that next step next level you know he could chip in that way and and he was able to get rewarded with it a bit last year like we didn't do as good as i really wanted to but he got rewarded that way so um they've been hit hard by this. So obviously retail being a, uh, clothing store. Um, yeah, they're struggling a little bit, but, uh, I actually just had some friends, sponsors that are now friends come out last weekend from Simon's there. And, and they said, they talked to Peter the other day and he was asking about me and and wanted to say hi and stuff. So he's still thinking of me and, and, uh, uh, he said if things work out, they'd be back next year. So uh, I've had lots of good sponsors over the years, and uh, and they all they all help and in their own way and and whatever way they can. So uh, we really we really can't operate without them.
1: Yeah, totally. You need, you need a, especially a sponsor like that, that'll, that'll, you know, kind of put you over to the top that'll invest in, uh, in your dream. And, and really that's what it is, you know, um, and, and help you get to that, that next level. That's uh, something that I think every, every top wagon outfit needs is, is an outfit like that. And then and, and like you say too, like it, it takes a, it takes a village. It takes a community for sure. Uh, to, you know, make a chuck wagon go around year after year after year. So uh, we we totally do re- uh, revolve around the sponsors. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So Chad, uh, one last question from me is uh, with everything going on, how are you keeping busy? Um, I've seen poetry. I've seen garden boxes. I've seen cleaning up after ponies like escape.
2: Uh, well early on in March when we were just kind of sitting in limbo, didn't know if we should start training March, April there. I, uh, I kept myself busy at home, just building some crows, just some pipe fence, just keeping my mind off things, just ready to start training. if we got to go ahead to, and, and wasn't going to put the investment into start training too soon, um, just cause financially I wanted to survive for next year. And then, uh, I had a buddy get a hold of me. Um, it would have been early May wondering how I was up to and we got talking, he runs a big farm, uh, from our community here and, and said he was kind of looking for help. And I said, well, Calgary hadn't canceled yet at that time. I said, Oh, Calgary doesn't go. I'll have some free time on my hands. So I think it was a Wednesday or Thursday that Calgary officially announced that, uh, that, They weren't going and then Hinshaw announced no gatherings of 15 or more people all summer. So I basically assumed this was before the tour officially canceled that our summer was probably terminated. So yeah, it was Wednesday or Thursday at Calgary announced and I was working full time that following Monday for for my buddy that runs a big farm around here. And then I was still working part time at the arena I run in the winter projects around there stuff that gets maybe neglected when I hit the road in the summer typically so I was getting some projects done that way so I had a full-time and a part-time job going on there for a bit and now I'm just working full-time uh five days a week nine hour days and and uh now that we're haying it'll be weekends too so I've been quite busy and missing being on the road not gonna lie.
1: Yeah, you you never really, uh, well, because, you know, you're a lot like me, you do it, you've done it every single summer of your life, very well, or pretty much anyways, and you never really appreciate uh, the six month vacation till you don't have it.
2: Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, I guess it always in the back of your mind, you wonder what a summer is like at home. And and now that you're spending the summer home, you realize it sucks and you'd rather be on the road. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. No doubt. Hey, listen, Chad, we've taken enough of your time. Uh, I appreciate uh, you coming on and and uh, spilling the beans on some of these stories for us.
2: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And I, I enjoy your guys' podcasts and I've listened about all of them. I think the one with your grandpa was probably one of my favorites. So keep up the good work, Ketu been fun
0: thank you chad for coming on after the ninth and thank you skylar farrier services for bringing us that uh interview um date you got to unpack a lot with chad there
1: yeah yeah uh, he's a awesome guy to talk to he's a he's a younger guy and uh you know i can relate to that uh you know where he's he's further ahead than me uh, in his career and driving a little bit longer but you know when you're competing against guys have been doing it for 40 years while all of a sudden me and Chad are are in in similar boats so um, and and like I said uh, when we were talking to him he uh, you know he started me I would say as far as the outriding thing goes Um, you know when I was 14 or 15 for about a, a year or two straight there um you know when i went out in the mornings or or when i was jumping on horses or when i was uh sitting you know on the fence and watching the races i would sit next to chad and and pick his brain on about outriding and he would point things out to me and stuff so uh you know kind of a mentor of mine at least to you know got me in the outriding game so uh he's a fun guy to talk to and and i'm serious he's a guy that i th- really think is going to pop off in the next you know 5 years you're going to see him in the Top, you know, the the top three heats, top two heats, uh, and that sort of thing, because it seems like he's really turning the corner. Uh, and he's and he's, uh, you know, figuring more and more out about the sport and uh, kind of getting his uh, ducks in a row. And he's running tougher and tougher every year, it seems. So that'll be something to watch out for, for you long-term wagon fans.
0: Now, you said you wanted to bring him on so that he could clear up some facts from Caitlin's episode of Women of the Wagons. So do you think we did that?
1: To be honest, I didn't listen to Caitlin's interview. So uh, I, uh, I I haven't uh, gotten around to it anyways um, for the Women of the Wagons. But i'm sure this will lead to more controversy
0: so for you after the ninth fans we put all of this together we sit we record um we set up interviews we do all that but then once we stop the recording button dayton hands it all over to me and says here have fun figure it out
1: Yeah. Like for anybody listening cast the majority of the work, almost all of it for this podcast. That's no doubt. So, um, thanks for keeping us going Cass and we're going to also be trying to do some more, come up with some more, uh, um, content for you guys. So you said that I guess a hundred times now, but, um, we're going to uh, start getting some of these, uh, other drivers, older drivers, uh, even current drivers, uh, stuff like that on the show. So uh, always be on the lookout for more episodes. And uh, also we have obviously the women of wagons podcast, which Caitlin was on. So if you didn't listen to that, uh, listen to Caitlin's episode with Cass on women, the wagons uh, Chad's counterpart and, uh, Brian Hudson hosts a podcast outside the wagon. Uh, if you're not familiar. Um, and we're also doing a video show, which I don't know. Sorry, Cass, do we have a name for that? The
0: after the ninth race review. Oh, yeah. Sorry.
1: I, I actually come up with that name didn't I Yeah. So sorry. I forgot about that. Um, after the ninth race review. We got those coming out too. Uh, I wouldn't say weekly, but pretty close to weekly. So, uh, be on the lookout for those. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. That's one year for us. Uh, we're going to try and do better the, in, in this coming year. Um, but uh, ultimately, that's uh, about it for us.
0: Um, date, just so you know, depending on uh, when this podcast airs, you'll either have your one year present in the mail or in your hands. So Yeah we'll find out. Ooh what could it be? You're gonna have to find out but uh everyone keep an eye out on social media and see what Dayton got for his uh one year anniversary award for putting up with me because uh he said that he needed one so uh he's getting an award.
1: That's true because she's always bothering me about uh getting a podcast out doing this doing that because I am a huge procrastinator when it comes to these podcasts but uh that's neither here nor there so look out for that we'll probably talk about it on our next episode and after that that is all from us so be sure to check out our social media facebook be on lookout for new episodes and uh, we will see you next time
0: bye guys he's got that wagon and full flight here's the wires But that's a day in the country.